Hosanna, a fellowship of Christians. Well, welcome to Hosanna. If you're able, let's stand and worship together.
good morning. Yes, Lord. Well, it's good to be here together in God's presence as his people, and we trust that the Spirit has drawn us here as a body, the body of Christ, to worship him in spirit and truth. The psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And here we are gathered in the house of the Lord because of his faithful mercy. Let us read, we're going to read this together, Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. I think it went way too fast. His love endures forever. To him who alone, wait. Love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens. His love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. His love endures forever. Who made the great lights. His love endures forever. The sun to govern the day. His love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night. His love endures forever. He remembered us in our lowest state. His love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever.
not have known that Rick has this hidden talent of playing harmonica. Aren't we glad harmonica came today? <laughs> well, what good news that God's love for us never fails. And this next song talks about our identity through Christ, who we are and who does God say that we are. This is probably different than how we feel we are or who the world says we are. In John 1, 12 through 13, we read, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, but born of God. So in accepting Christ into our lives, God gives us this new identity as God's children. Chosen and not forsaken, and for us, not against us.
good news, isn't it? You may be seated if you would like.
morning. I want you to do something for me. I want you to stand up and look at someone and say, you're a child of God. Yes, I am. (laughs) Just like the song said, you're a child of God. Yes, I am. Mark, you're a child of God. Yes, you are. (laughs) Okay, I know now I have lost all control. Thank you, Travis. It's good to see all of you this morning. You do that so well. I'll try to get control back here. (laughs) You know, just hearing something as simple That reminder this morning in that song that says, we're a child of God. Yes, we are. You know, sometimes we just don't feel like it, right? But we can't base it on our feelings. We base it on the truth. Let's pray before we take up our offering. God, thank you that we are your children and that you love us unconditionally. Lord, and I thank you for this group of people that's sitting before me and all of our family and friends online. God, thank you for who they are. 
Yes, indeed, they're children of God. They're children of yours. God, I thank you that this congregation gives generously of their time and their talents and their offerings. So, Lord, we ask that you would bless it today. Let it abound in between these four walls and beyond our four walls. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers. Hi, Priscilla. You can pass the offering buckets. A couple announcements for you this morning. Our Change for Change bucket in the back for the month of November is going to be going towards blessing two families that we adopt at Christmas time from our Lidditz community with gift cards for groceries. The adult class, what matters most about our faith, is going to continue today in the Blue Room following the service. Two announcements for next week. We'll be taking a second offering next week to bless 18 families within our Hosanna family with gift cards for Thanksgiving. And also, a new adult class will be starting. I have to put my glasses down to read this one. Uh, the class will be titled Five Freedoms. These five kinds of spiritual freedoms stand against the contrast to five tyrannies that the world tries to impose on us. Joanne and Tony will be leading that class and can you guess where it's going to be held? In the blue room. Yes. And it's hard to believe. Please, nobody brought tomatoes in this morning, did they? Because it's hard to believe that Thanksgiving is like three weeks away. Wow. It's early this year. And that means what we do around here every Thanksgiving is host a community Thanksgiving meal. Last year, between all the Warwick community chests and us here and all the churches, we fed over 1,300 people. Yes, and I'm sure we're going to be doing that again this year, and if not more. If you would like to sign up to help, to cook food, to, we need turkeys, lots and lots of turkeys. I commend you, last year, Hosanna baked or cooked 27 turkeys, just yourselves. So if you can do that again this year, that would be great. All the other churches in Lidditz are pulling together to bake turkeys and bake goods. That's what we need. There's sign-ups out in the foyer if you would like to help Wednesday prepping food or Thanksgiving Day itself to serve the community, please sign up in the foyer. And then on Sunday, December 10th, immediately following the service, we're going to hold Hosanna's Christmas party. And thanks to a generous Hosanna member, the Christmas party, again, is free this year. We want to extend a warm thank you to that person. There's a sign-up out in the foyer. Sign up if you're planning to attend. We thought we would do something different this year. Our Hosanna Entertainment is going to be provided by all of you. And there's a lot of entertainment right here in this room. So if you would like to sing a song, read a poem, do a dance... As long as it's Christmas-themed, sign up out in the foyer. We're getting quite a few sign-ups out there, so that'll be a lot of fun. And with that, I'm going to invite Tony up for the last installment of Hosanna at the Movies. Hi, Tony here. At this point, we're going to start watching in the building the movie and commenting on the movie that, um, that we've advertised for today. And unfortunately, this is one of the things that's bedeviled us since the pandemic broke. We're not able to live stream those movie clips to you who are watching at home. And that's one reason we hadn't done Hosanna at the movies for the past couple of years. But, but we've come up with a solution. And we think that this will this will meet our needs here a little bit. The folks in the building will be watching one movie. We're going to give you a Hosanna at the Movies message that we had actually presented several years ago. 
you may remember it, you may not have seen it. It's probably going to, in one sense or another, still be brand new to you. And it doesn't have those licensing restrictions on it. So hopefully this will be as deeply meaningful to you as what is happening in the building and we'll keep, we'll be ethical and maintain our, um, our ministry integrity in the way that we're doing this. Thanks so much for being part of this and exploring together the the magic of God's grace, which seems to show up in the most unlikely places. Welcome back to our Hosanna at the Movies series and to part two of this year's final movie message. Part one happened last week as an unexpected and actually amazing congregational conversation. And since our last movie is also a part two, it's a sequel, all of this seems right somehow as it's unfolded. So our final movie message is drawn from Disney's Frozen 2. And as we discovered last week, this is a story which is both incredibly moving and profoundly needed today, in our world today. It's amazing how this film was released in 2019, just before the pandemic. It's, I, I, you know, I just don't believe things happen accidentally. I don't believe that was a coincidence because this is a story that's much needed. Um, at first viewing, it seemed uh, uh, that the original Frozen movie, part one, that it was whole in and of itself. It was complete. Sisters Elsa and Anna, friends Kristoff and Sven, and of course, snowman sidekick Olaf. They, they take incredible risks in that first movie. Um, they go on a grand adventure to save their homeland of Arendelle from being lost in perpetual winter. And then they get to share in, the, in a traditional fairy tale ending that viewers have come to expect from Disney movies, right? So why make Frozen 2? Because real life is not a fairy tale where we go out and slay dragons and find our true love and arrive at a place that's gonna stay that way forever. See, Frozen 2 offers the rest of the story of what life in this world asks of each of us and, and the difference that answering that call can make for all of us. So as we discussed last week, God has set physical patterns into the universe, times and seasons which keep it moving in predictable rhythms. And here on Earth, God wove predictable times and seasons into nature to support ongoing life on this world. You know, rhythms like ocean tides and bird migrations and animal mating rituals and caterpillar metamorphosis into butterflies. See, everything in this physical creation responds to the nudges of instinct. I mean, just think about those caterpillars, right? Their, their lives, the first part of their lives, they're all about crawling around to eat, find and eat as much food as they can, eating machines, eating all the time. And then one day, they have an urge to do something they've never done before. They just hang upside down on a twig and imprison themselves in a cocoon or a chrysalis in which they completely fall apart and are rearranged into something they've never been before but were created to be all along. How about that? And they just do it. And as they fly away on their brand new wings, we need to notice that transformation happened for them when it was supposed to. 
And in them was no forethought. They did no fighting on their part. There was only flowing into the next right thing that was before them. See, this is how transformation happens. For everything in the world, except it seems for most human beings, we seem to be the exception. Yes, we were created to and do pass through the same physical seasons in creation with all of God's other creatures. And over the course of our lifetimes, we also grow through our own physical seasons, right? Sean was talking about that in worship, from, from birth in the spring of our lives, through the summer of adolescence and young adulthood, into the vibrant autumn fullness and the harvest of mature adulthood, and then on into the winter of diminishment and death. See, these seasons unfold physically, whether we want them to or not. And trust me, I'm at the point in my life where I'm thinking I would, can we, can we go back to summer? <laughs> How about spring? <laughs> they, they, have, they happen whether we want them to or not. They're, not they're, they're inescapable physically. See, our choice is not whether we will experience them, because we will. The choice is how will we experience them? How will we journey through them? We get a choice about this that caterpillars don't. This is the way of things, right? As the birds sang in 1965, which I remember, and, and they were singing right out of the biblical book of Ecclesiastes. To everything, turn, 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 right? Ecclesiastes, um, chapter three, there's a right time for everything. And everything on earth will happen at the right time. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pull up plants. I won't read the whole thing. I'm just picking some of these times that really fit into what we're talking about today. Time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to be sad and a time to dance with joy. There's a time to hug someone and a time to stop holding on so tightly. There's a time to look for something and a time to consider it lost, a time to keep things time to throw things away. But wait a minute. Did you notice these verses are not describing the turning of physical seasons, are they? Mm -mm. No. These are inner experiences, inner seasons of the human soul. Laughing and mourning. I don't hear caterpillars doing that. Holding on, letting go, gathering, Scattering. These are spiritual seasons and times, different from the rhythms of other created things. Because unlike them, we have a choice about whether we're going to go with the flow and let go of the last season when we're nudged inside to do that. Or maybe we choose to tighten our grip and even raise a fist and refuse to risk following the Spirit's nudge into our next soul season. Why, okay, what does this have to do with Frozen 2? Can I say everything? Because as we saw last week, Frozen 2 picks up where part one of the story left off. If you remember the first half of the story of original Frozen, is Elsa and Anna passing through spring and summer. Um, they grow up together. But of course, no childhood or adolescence is perfect. So we saw that they got hurt like we get hurt. 
Elsa hurts Anna. She hurts her with her magical power, and then, and then Elsa decides she's dangerous and she needs to control herself so she doesn't hurt someone that she loves again. So she locks herself away in a lonely cocoon, a lonely prison of her own making. Meanwhile, Anna doesn't even remember that Elsa hurt her. All she knows is that Elsa doesn't want to be with her anymore. And so she longs for the locked door between them to be opened. But just as Elsa blamed and punished herself to protect Anna, Anna fears she's not good enough for a relationship with Elsa. So in the early, these early seasons of life, they and we do the best we can in what seems like a big, scary world. But over time, these sisters, like most of us, choose to take the risk of doing big, scary things that are necessary and right at that time in those seasons. And you know, just when it seemed like all was lost in the first frozen love came to the rescue, the relationship was restored, Arendelle was saved, and everyone celebrated the happy ending. And yes, right? The completion of every season should be celebrated, and yes, we need to be more happy. As long as we remember that no season is permanent in this world, it is not a happy ending forever, but that's what we, that's what we want, and that's what we convince ourselves is, is going to be true. So it's no accident that the seemingly endless summer of Frozen 1 becomes autumn as Frozen 2 begins. As they sing about, the, the first song is great, they're singing about the permanence of their happily ever after, that some things just never change. But no one seems to notice the leaves are falling all around them. And they don't understand what this change of season is going to ask of them. And you know what? Most of us don't either. All we're told in spring is that we're supposed to enjoy our childhood, figure out what we want to do when we grow up, learn what's needed in order to do that, and then go out into the real world and make that happen. That's all we know. So we work really hard, and we overcome the challenges, and we build our little kingdoms. And usually around midlife, we celebrate. <coughs> we finally arrived. Yay, it's harvest time. We've arrived somewhere near where we hope to be and have accumulated some good friends, some safety and comfort, maybe harvest enough to sustain us with our friends through the seasons to come. But as everyone else is singing, Elsa's restless, and she hears a voice calling her. It seems that happily ever after is not after, ever after, after all. I knew I was gonna mess that up. <laughs> happily ever after is not ever after, after all. And I think most of you have seen the film. She tries to ignore the voice, but she can't. She's no longer content in her perfect outer world. And she finally confesses to Anna that she's still struggling inside with fear about doing something wrong and messing things up and letting people down. But the voice just becomes more insistent. So, so Elsa, finally, she engages it. She sings this profound song. What do you want? She's saying to the voice, what do you want from me? Are you here to distract me so I make a big mistake? I've had my adventure. I'm not going to start something new. 
I'm afraid of what I'm risking you, risking if I follow you into the unknown. Every day is harder. Don't you know there's a part of me that longs to go into the unknown? And then she said, how do I follow you into the unknown? You hear the movement in her. This is the call of autumn, the second half of life. The call of the one who knows why we were born, who knows the timing and the detail of every season of our individual lives. All we've done and not done, our successes and failures, our hard work and our well-earned comfort, the deep fears and our deepest longings. He, this one knows the more of who we were created to be and the ways that we settle for so much less than that. But the one who created us for more than we can imagine, unlike us, will not settle. Will not settle for us settling. See, in our soul's autumn, the voice of the Holy Spirit comes to call us from deep within. And as things begin to change, which they do, we begin to question everything. See, what used to work isn't working anymore. Why am I so restless? What used to satisfy doesn't anymore. Why does it seem like something is missing in me? What used to be life-giving, it, 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 it's, it's dull, it's empty now. What's wrong with me? The old answers aren't enough anymore. Why do I have so many questions? I feel so alone. Where is God? Has God abandoned me? Been there? Yes. Have you? Maybe you're there right now. Where's God? I think we hear the world asking that question. And I don't hear the church answering it very well. Has God abandoned me? Is God even real? Is this all there is to life? Am I going to be stuck like this forever? See, rather than simply let go and follow the voice into the unknown, like Elsa, we initially get willful. Nope, I'm going to ignore you. La, la, la. I'm going to go dance with the people outside. We ignore it, we get angry. A lot of times what we do is we double down on what we're doing. You know, what used to give us life. We just keep working harder at that. This is what the writer of Ecclesiastes did in chapter two. See, we read from chapter three earlier, the chapter before. Before he knew about the times and the seasons. This is what he says. I, took, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. Do you see what he's doing? He feels kind of like dead inside, so he's doing all this stuff on the outside. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. But you know what? No matter how he distracted himself, the dis-ease remained. He goes on. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun, so I hated life. 
I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool. Yet he'll have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair. Do you hear it? Autumn. So why don't we just Give up spiritually in autumn and walk away. Some people do. But you can often tell those people because when they get to winter, when they age into winter, these are the ones with cold, selfish, bitter hearts that get smaller and smaller over time. Winter is going to come to us all. But we can choose, like Elsa and the writer of Ecclesiastes, we can choose to engage autumn, to let go, to follow the spirit into the great unknown, not out there, in here. This is where it starts. And because God loves us so much, God nudges us on by allowing old familiar circumstances, old you know, assumptions and expectations, allows them to be shaken like the stable world of Arendelle was shaken in that earthquake at the beginning of this frozen tomb. People flee and they're standing helpless before threatening forces they can't control. Hello, COVID. It's right on time, folks. We don't have to fear it. There's a wise, right? We want to take care of ourselves. We want to be wise, but we don't have to be terrified that the world's going to end. This is autumn, folks. We and the church at large and our nation and our world are in autumn. We stayed too long in summer and we didn't know how to read the signs that the season was changing. And yes, the abundant gifts of summer remain. Sure do. But in our souls, we feel the weariness of too much doing and not enough being, and we feel the weight of far too many losses. We feel stuck, and we want to move on, and we have no clue how and, or even what to move into. <clears throat> but rather than hold on tighter to all our old stuff, our old ideas, the way things used to be, you know what we can do? We can choose to see what matters most now and be willing to leave behind what doesn't matter anymore. And finally experience the most satisfying reality of all, that underneath it all, what we desire more than anyone or anything else is God. In our historic Christian tradition, there's a name for this autumn journey, named from the 16th century. It's called the dark night of the soul. It's actually made up of two kinds of experiences. The dark night of the senses, which happens you know, many times in our lives when things kind of dry up and it's more of an external kind of a thing. Dark night of the senses. But the dark night of the spirit, that usually happens only once in a lifetime, right around midlife when the leaves start falling. And things make no sense anymore. See, these inner autumns, they strip us of the things that we've held onto in our lives as if they were God. 
so that we can find ourselves holding on to Christ alone, who is the only one that's going to bring us through winter into the life to come. At the end, guys, if you don't go through autumn well now, you know what? You're going to have to because we're all going to die. Like the writer of Ecclesiastes said, no matter how much you've accumulated, no much, how much safety and security you've created in this world, nothing wrong with it. It's just that you can't take it with you. Every one of us, one way or another, is going to face, we're going we're to face it when we die. So there's that quote, so why don't we die before we die? So we can be free, right? All right, but I'm off my notes. Okay, then I gotta stay out of otherwise we're gonna be here till noon. You know how that goes. So, the dark night of the spirit, the dark night of the soul. What we have to, just to remember from our conversation last week that the darkness of this dark night is not evil. It's not brought about by sin. John of the Cross named it in Spanish. La oscura noche the obscure night. It's like someone's put their hand over our eyes. And we can't see, it's like there's a fog that's rolled in. <coughs> and the ability to sense and to see spiritually is clouded and unclear. This is actually a sign of having done something right. Of having navigated each preceding season with God well. So when this season arrives, we can do as Anna teaches us so clearly. You know, at the deepest point of her dark night journey in this story, she says, What do we do when we can't see the next step? We do the next right thing. Some, that's all we have. But you know what? What we learn is that's all we need. Because if we do the next right thing and the next right thing and the next right thing, whatever that might be, we don't have to have a plan and we don't have to know where it's leading because we're going to be going to the next right, through the next right thing to the right place. It's called trust. It's called faith. In autumn, we learn to walk by faith, not by sight. Here's some scriptures we all believe in our heads, but really, do we live them? Right? We learn to walk by faith, not by sight. Believing that when we're weak, God really is strong. And trusting that no matter what Jesus' promise remains true, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. This dark night of autumn is where those words in our heads become reality in our lives. As the Spirit slowly frees us, in hidden ways that our minds can't comprehend. This happens mysteriously and secretly in our deepest being beyond our conscious control. Think, an illustration, think about the Gulf Stream that brings us all kinds of weather and hurricanes and other things, right? The Gulf Stream is moving unseen beneath the surface of the ocean. That's the way the Holy Spirit moves in our depths, in the depths of his church, in the depths of the world. Invisible, undetected, and yet real and very, very active. Does this make sense? 
So like the invisible voice that calls to Elsa, God hides himself for a time. Trusting that our desire and our longing for him will keep propelling us on. Because he knows that were he not hidden, there would be no need to seek him. In other words, if God doesn't create this, this autumn in us, we're not going to follow him. We got it. We got it. Our barns are full. We, we got this. We wouldn't go seeking him, not in this way. And where God leads us first in this season is not to fix what's wrong with everybody else. If you're doing that, nope, nope. That is not listening to the call of the Spirit. That's resistance. He doesn't call us to fix what's wrong with everyone else. He calls us deep inside, where we have hidden and forgotten the parts of ourselves we don't want anyone to see, especially ourselves. And very often those parts that we're trying to fix out there are actually what's broken and wounded in here. During the dark night, God slowly opens our blind eyes to see the ways that we have refused to love and be loved as God loves. See, if God is love, then the refusal of love, the refusal to love, that is the essence of sin. Not these checklists of behaviors that we're doing that just get used to control us anyway. No, the essence of sin is the refusal to love and the refusal to allow yourself to be loved as God loves. Honestly, I'm kind of right there myself. This is a hard, I mean, you know, I've been struggling. I told you last week how to put this all into words because this is a place none of us wants to go. It's no, no. Darkness, not so much. Let's go play outside with Olaf. No. But see, unless we do, we're never going to truly live in the freedom of Christ. So we're drawn, he, we're drawn inside, it, and we need to remember what we've forgotten. We need to go to those parts of us that we've locked away and hidden. We need to remember See, not only what's been done to us, but we also have to remember what we've done to others. We need to be honest and acknowledge the ways that we've tried to use and manipulate God to do our bidding. And then when that didn't work, we need to remember how we've used and manipulated what belongs to God, other people, all created things, that we use it all to get what we want to give us our identity, our security, and control. See, Autumn, we must see how we've rationalized doing wrong and blaming others for it. All to avoid feeling what? Just how powerless and afraid we really are. That's the thing. We've got to understand, folks, we are not truly free if our peace and our well-being, our identity, our very souls are dependent on anything other than God. So, as Frozen 2 unfolds, Elsa, Elsa courageously follows 
the voice into the depths of the forbidden forest, which is kind of a picture of the depths of us. And so she goes in the forest, following the voice. Anna follows Elsa, Kristoff follows Anna, and Olaf follows them all, right? And Olaf, you gotta love him, oh my gosh. He's the truly free, wise one in the whole story. And he's saying, did you know an enchanted forest is a place of transformation? I don't know what that means, but I can't wait to see what it's gonna do to each one of us. He's full of curiosity, right? He's full of wonder. This is the attitude in which we come. That's how we can navigate best. Come with that attitude into the depths of yourself. Well, they don't have to wait too long to find out how it's gonna, what it's gonna do to them because the disorder appears immediately. First, it's uncontrollable fire that's setting everything ablaze. And Elsa's running around, just trying to control it with her ice because the ice can put out the fire. So she is just running frantically around, trying to control and protect everybody. The problem is, see, this is a parable. The fire <laughs> represents the power of our inner disordered emotions. Our disordered passions, our disordered desires, our disordered ang anger. And you know what? When we fight them, it only makes them stronger. Peace comes when Elsa stops fighting. When she sees through her fear with compassion, meaning she notices it's just one little tiny creature running around setting everything on fire. It ends up up against a rock. And as she looks at it and sees how small and afraid it is, see, that's what we need to do for ourselves. The source of this blazing is small and afraid. And then what does she do? She risks picking it up in her hands. And it hurts when she first does. But she doesn't let go. You know what happens? Fire and ice become friends. And their powers can then be used together as needed in the service of love, not fear. See, we are all invited in autumn to this reordering of our emotions in the dark night journey. Does that make sense? All right, let's see where they go next. The voice then leads them on to a disorienting whirlwind picks them up like in The Wizard of Oz and drops them in a place where the past is frozen in time. And then they're able to take some time. They're paying attention to the old stories, which are now frozen memories. Those old stories that they were told about their parents and their grandparents' old battles. And then suddenly, they're surrounded by those who survived the battles but are still trapped in the old story repeating it over and over and over, living as if nothing has ever changed. We have those places in us too, don't we? Places where we're trapped in painful memories of the past, we're reliving the trauma of it over and over and over and over in our minds. We're caught in an eternal war that seems eternal. In the dark night, we're invited to let healing happen, to slowly allow God's spirit to show us the more of the story, 
the truth we didn't know when the wounding happened. And again, compassion is the key, folks. And you know, God will reveal this to us if we're willing to see it. Now, of course, this doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> the process takes time and it takes trust. And so Elsa and Anna, they stay with the process. They discover the hidden secret that their mother wasn't born in Arendelle, but in the enchanted forest. That she saved their father's life during the battle. He became king and married their mother without knowing who she really was. Huh. That explains a lot about marriage. But Elsa and Anna understood full well in that moment. What? You know you have those aha moments where Gosh, all the pieces come together, or some of them anyway. In that moment, they understood the hatred and conflict of the previous generations, the war, were brought together through their parents' love in them. They contained both. They were the answer to the prayers of generations who went before them. And Elsa and Anna learned more about themselves. And, then, and the more that they learned, the more they realized, oh my word, each of us is a bridge of healing and reconciliation to the past. So there, there can be freedom to live more fully in the present and not pass that old paid on to generation and then have them pass it on to the next generation and the next one and the next one. I didn't understand all of this when my son was born. It'll be 39 years ago next month. I remember bringing him home from the hospital, but I was aware enough at that time. I didn't even take my coat off. I sat down in the rocking chair next to his crib, which had Winnie the Pooh on it, which was really cool. And I, I held him and I looked at him and I started bawling because I never had that much love for anyone or anything before. And I started crying and first said, nobody's going to kill you in a war. I promise you that. But the next thing I said was, if you'll excuse my language, the shit stops here. I'm not passing on to you at least what I knew in that moment at 26 years old. I am not, I'm going to try my best not to give you the pain that was handed to me. I think I did okay, he probably, I said to him too, I'll go to therapy with you because I'm sure I'll make my own mistakes. But you hear rewriting history books, rewriting, it, it, that doesn't fix anything. It helps with understanding sometimes. But you know how the past is resolved? This way. See. What was true for Elsa and Anna, it's true for us, and not only in our family of origins, also in the family of God, and in the families of our communities, and our neighborhoods, and our countries, and the family of humanity itself. The pain of the past can be healed and resolved in us if we're willing to do that really hard work so that it's not passed on to the future. And folks, this isn't anything we could do in our own human power. On our own, what we do is we just repeat the story of brokenness and division. 
again and again and again. We're going around and around and around. We're tra- like we're trapped in it. But the good news is God doesn't leave us on our own. God came to be one of us. Invisible, immortal God became visible and mortal in Jesus. He became the bridge, not just a bridge, but the bridge between heaven and earth, between everything that human sin has separated. In Jesus, all the opposites come together. In him, all the warring sides are united as one. Through his life and his death and his resurrection, all things above and on and under the earth, scripture tells us, have already been reconciled together as one. We just don't live like it. And those who have heard and followed his call, who've done this journey and are willing to keep doing it, to them he's given his ministry of reconciliation so that what he's done within us can flow through us, out into our families, out into our neighborhoods, communities, nations, and the world itself. But for this to happen, like our movie friends in the forest, we must experience his healing to the depths of our being. And so they move on in their journey in the movie, and they're faced, next they face the earth giants. Mammoth stone beings that represent the deep, like down in your gut, those deep, wordless, nameless, terrifying things that we believe will kill us if we face them. And in there is death itself. At this point, the four four characters find themselves at the turning point of the dark night journey. Kristoff finally admits Anna's the reason he wakes up every day and that he has no clue who he is apart from her. He says, who am I if you're not your guy? I love this ballad. Where am I if we're not together? You're my true north, my only landmark, and without you here, I'm lost in the woods. Elsa discovers their parents drowned trying to cross the dark sea to find uh, the reason for her magical powers so they could fix it. The earth giants rise up within her and she's like distraught. It's my fault. If I wasn't like this, they wouldn't have died. And, and Anna's trying to convince Elsa, no, you're a gift, but Elsa can't believe it. So she sends Anna and Olaf away, and she runs off to complete their unfinished journey, which is now her own. See, now they're all separated in the woods. They're all walking different paths. But as bad as this feels, this solitary journey is necessary because, listen, in this stage of our soul, nobody can do our work for us. Nobody can do your work for you. I wish I could, if I could, I've tried. I've preached this for decades. It's just now that people are actually in a place where it's real, now. I think people might hear it. I can't fix it, none of us, we can't. Everyone must do their own work. We've gotta risk letting go of who we've been so that we can become the fullness of who we were created to be in Christ. So listen, on this dark night journey, the breaking point is the turning point. The sooner we recognize that, the sooner we get out of autumn. 
The breaking point is the turning point. What does it ask? Surrender. It asks surrender. Not surrender as in giving up or becoming passive. Not as being forced or overpowered by something. No, true surrender is acceptance. Pure and simple. Accepting ourselves and everyone else as we are right now. Even though everything's not fixed and perfect. Even though we're not the way we're supposed to be and the world is think, we think going to hell in a handbasket. To accept what we can't control. We do what we can do, but when, when we can't, to accept it and then experience the amazing reality that this is what God is always doing every moment of every day. Do you recognize that God still loves and accepts us and this world, even though it's not perfect and what he intended it to be? If God can do it, why can't we? This is what Jesus did in Gethsemane. He was agonizing in prayer. In a few hours, he was going to be crucified. And he, in his humanness, didn't want to. Who can blame him? So he asks God, please release me from this. I do not want to suffer like this. And then, in the midst somehow, he still didn't want to. (laughs) But he chose to do it anyway, to complete that long, painful journey to the cross. Not because he had to, because he wanted to. Because he loved us more than he loved his life. Because he knew that his surrender to love was the only way for the power of sin to be broken. The only way for his resurrection to become the the breaking point. Um, His crucifixion is the breaking point that becomes the turning point into resurrection. The turning point of all history. The open doorway into eternity for everyone. What does it mean? It means we don't have to keep beating ourselves up trying to do enough or be enough on our own. And especially in autumn when you're already worn out and you're ready to give up, when you're done, guess what? You get to be done. You get to let go and rest in him and experience the wonder of wonders. It is not what you do that makes you successful. It is not money that makes you wealthy. It's not your effort that makes you worthy. See, at the turning point of the dark night when you're you're finally exhausted and disillusioned enough to hear what the voice has been trying to tell you all along, you already are good enough. Simply because God made you and has never stopped loving you, has never stopped seeking you. There's more to you and more to life than you can possibly imagine. But to experience that, listen, you need to let your earthbound caterpillar self turn inward and enter this dark cocoon of God's grace where he will reorder you into what you were created to be all along. And right there in the place where you have nothing else to give, where there's nothing else you can do, you know what we discover? A new strength rises up within us. That's not our own. This is the place Jesus told us about, right? The place where we lose our lives to find them. 
where feeling abandoned by God shifts into being abandoned to God. Whereas I experienced once in a, a very profound dark night prayer. In the prayer, I was like, I'm holding on. I'm inside a bottomless pit. And I'm holding on to the edge. And my fingers, I've been holding on for so long, my fingers are starting to come loose. And I'm afraid that I'm going to fall into an empty nothingness forever, just waiting to hit bottom and die. In the prayer, God says, let go. Trust me. So I did. And I did. I, it, I felt in the prayer like I was falling into this dark nothing. I don't know how to explain it to you other than to say, in a moment, everything shifted. I was no longer falling into nothing. I was falling into everything. I was not falling into dying. I was falling into life. I was falling into God. And I knew that I did not have to be afraid because it's eternity. There's no bottom to hit, folks. This is the place where the faith in Jesus we've known in our heads becomes the life-altering reality of his life-giving presence in our lives, where we not only experience God's love for us, but something shifts. We love God more than we love our own life. We want to be the unique expression of his love, of his likeness and image, but uniquely the way he's created each of us to be that in this world that no one else can be. And in that love, you know what? We're set free with reordered desires, wanting more than anything else to live the one wild and precious life that God's given us to live and refusing to settle for anything less at the same time, we're not striving to become anything more. It's then all the broken, confused pieces within us start coming out of hiding. They start coming back together again, like they do for our frozen two friends. And there's a freedom. Elsa, determined to cross the dark, stormy sea or die, trying. And just when it seems all is lost, a magical horse appears. In that moment, everything shifts inside her. She doesn't fight anymore. She's not doing anything in her own power. That horse of grace is taking her toward the voice that's calling her, and she is no longer afraid. She's fearless. She's full of wonder, and she enters this palace singing. I'm arriving, and it feels like I'm home. Show yourself. It's your turn. If you've never been in that place with God, I have. It's like, you know what? I'm doing my part. You show me. That's the kind of relationship he wants with us. We're that free and we're that fearless. Show yourself, it's your turn. All my life I've been torn, but I'm here for a reason. Could this be the reason I was born? Is this the day? Are you the way? You're the answer I've waited for all of my life. Show yourself, let me see who you are. And of course she's transformed. And the, the message is she's the answer she was looking for. Do you know what? It does, it's not as heretical as it sounds. When we become and allow ourselves to become the unique self that God created us to be, he's alive in us. 
Mm. Yeah, I'm the one because Christ is the one in me. Does this make sense? We've all been waiting for ourselves to show up. She steps into the opening at the center, what is at the center of creation for her. She steps into the love of her creator who emptied himself of power and glory to come to be with us, reuniting in his love all that our refusal to love had separated within ourselves first, all of it. And at the center of the heart of God, at the center of Jesus' cross, like Elsa, when we're willing to step there, we get to experience the transforming reality that, listen, when we die in Christ, we are simultaneously resurrected to new life in him. It's always there, death and life together, always there, right there, where the whole truth is revealed to us where every deep desire is known. We die and yet we live. This is what Paul was talking about. I am crucified with Christ, yet I live indeed. It's not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. For the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who what? Who loved me so much he was willing to die for me. We enter that place and then we are there and we are that and we are him and we are one and it's union and it's beautiful and it's free and it's what we were born for. In this place we come home to what our spirits have known and been longing for all along. If every, anyone is in, new, is in Christ, that one is a new creation. The old has already passed away, it's gone, it's dead. The new has come. So in a moment, Elsa's eyes are open to see the whole beautiful, interconnected reality. All of her ancestors are there blessing her. And she accepts her place in the story. She accepts she is a gift because she is an answer to their prayers. And once, she was once lost, but in this moment in the movie, she shouts in joy, I am found. See, that's the truth that sets us free too. The love that satisfies our every need and desire, the peace that passes all understanding. Again, a story from my life. I, I, I've told this before, but it fits here really well. Mara is my first grandchild. And when Carla was in the birthing room, and Jared was in there with her. Um, I was outside in the hospital hallway, and I'm walking back and forth praying, just back and forth, up and down the hall. And I would pass the door, you know, and can't, couldn't see much, the window was this big. And I would pass the door and pass the door. It just so happened that I was right in front of the door when I heard her first cry. And in that moment, time, it was time stood still. And I sensed the presence in this long. Everything stopped. I heard her cry, and in her cry, I, heard, I sensed all of the generations that had gone before me, all of them. And I saw my, my mother, I saw my grandmother, I saw my grandfather, I, I could feel it. 
like this whoosh that went, and it came from them, and I felt it go through me, and I felt it go through her cry to generations that are yet to be born. And in that moment, oh my gosh, I could sense it all, and I started weeping. I was stuck, gratitude, joy, for the whole thing, the whole story, all of its pain and woundedness, all of its goodness and its wonder. And I stood there for a moment this long celebrating that I get to be part of this. The graced history of my life. Because in that moment, what I knew is that I'm blessed. And I'm in answer to all of their prayers, just as you are. You are the answer to the hopes of those who came before you. There is that which is only yours to do. Don't do anything else. Do that. Elsa experiences a, whole, a, a new wholeness. All of her frozen memories, the good and the bad, all of them, they come to life and they bless her. See, becoming whole, it doesn't mean we have to rewrite history. No. We need to see it for what it is and learn from it and let ourselves be the answer to their longings and their prayers that it would be different for the generations after them. And let it be different because we're different. Becoming whole requires us to see the past for what it was and allow it to become graced history because God was with us through it all as humanity. And God is with us now and God has continued to work all things together for good right on from here into eternity. That's the reality we need to live in right now, folks. Elsa couldn't do it alone though, none of us can. For Elsa to fulfill her calling, she needed Anna to fulfill her own. Meanwhile, where are Anna? Anna and Olaf are trapped in an underground cavern where Anna sees the, the hard truth that the dam her grandfather built in the forest was not a gift of peace, but a way to control their neighbors. And she knows that, she knows this because she lived it, right? It's her, it's just her story. Just like the locked door between her and Elsa as children. That door needed to be open. That dam needs to be open too. She didn't know it here, she knew it here. That dam of separation between the inhabitants of the kingdom needed to be broken, even if Arendelle was destroyed in the process. She knows the people are safe on the cliffs, so she says, Olaf, let's go. But Olaf begins flurrying away, and he dies. And Anna, in that moment comes to the end of herself too. You see, uh, Elsa's magic created Olaf. And if he's dying, it must mean that Elsa's dead. Anna held on to Elsa. That was her reason. Olaf says, I thought of one thing that's permanent, love. And then he dies and the wind takes his snowy remains to a mountain tomb and we remember Jesus' burial in a garden tomb outside Jerusalem. And then Anna reaches her breaking point. She wants to give up and die. But a tiny voice whispers, you're lost, hope is gone, 
but you must go on. Just do the next right thing. She runs toward the giants to wake them up. She's not afraid anymore. She's facing her fears, and she focuses all of the, the energy of those powerful giants in the right direction. And a newly freed Christoph Caesar and goes and does what he's called to do. And everyone's converging on this dam. Think of it inside of her. And the giants are throwing the boulders and the, the ancient dam breaks and all the pent up water is released. And with it, all the tears and pain, the betrayals, the losses, the dyings of all kinds. Not only for each individual, but for all of, all of them. It starts rushing down river. And it releases Elsa, who falls into the water and emerges on her horse and uses her power to redirect and calm the raging seas like someone else we know. In the end, Arendelle and the forest are both standing. All the inhabitants of the land are cheering of both lands. And the reconciliation of all that was separated begins. See, what, lo what was lost is found. What was imprisoned is freed. Kristoff doesn't need to cling to Anna anymore to be okay. Anna doesn't need any longer to clutch to Elsa to be okay. And from the cliff overlooking the water, Anna sees Elsa. What a picture of what we get to look forward to when we do pass over to the other side. She sees Elsa riding her horse toward her over the ocean, and she's more alive and whole than ever before. They're reunited, and Elsa's free, too. She's free from her need to be perfect to protect everyone else. She doesn't fear being too much, and she can let others be strong and be there for her, too. They're all celebrating. Elsa brings Olaf back to life just, like, to make everything fit. And he says, I don't know what transformation is, but I think the forest has changed us all. Yep, the dark night in autumn holds the potential to change us all if we're courageous enough to commit to the journey of following Jesus into dying and resurrection. One quote. And thank you for listening. It's a lot to say, but it's what needs to be said right now. Sue Monk Kidd, she writes, in the darkness God guides us the long way around. And sometimes that means winding through a dark wood. It doesn't mean we're lost, however. The darkness is part of the trip. Too many of us panic in the dark. We don't understand that it's a holy dark and that the idea is to surrender to it and journey through to real light. Let's conclude. If you're not in a personal autumn right now, you will be at some point. So please don't forget what we learned today. Why? So hopefully you'll be able to respond in your autumns in ways that will allow you to flow with the journey just a little bit more easily. But no matter what season we're in personally, it's vital that we all wake up to see that the church, our nation, and the whole world are now in autumn.
And it's vital that we do what is ours to do. So let's commit this morning to follow the Spirit's call together. To let go of what's no longer serving God's purposes. And to surrender ourselves into God's love so we can be changed. So we can be changed in the holy darkness into more of who we were created to be for such a time as this. Amen? I don't know what it means specifically for your life or for mine. The future is still unknown. But let's go into the unknown together with God. Trusting, you know what? He is going to lead us through the holy dark into real light. Amen? Amen? Thank you. Again, thank you for your patience. And I'm grateful that not every message <laughs> is either that long or that deep. I think I'm going to take a nap this afternoon. <laughs> Blessings on your journey. <laughs>